All right. Wow, we're back. We're back. Wow. Evan, what do you think the nature of consciousness is? The nature of consciousness. It's always important to repeat the question, right? Um, subjective storytelling. I'm just gonna, I guess I'm going to plant a flag there just to start. And I know those are just two words, but I think in some way I just have to like get something out and then to start unpacking. But that's kind of where my mind goes right away. Subjective storytelling. Because um, feed me a little more, feed me a little more, give give me a little bit more um, of a framework. Um, what angle? What what side do we want to come in on this with? I enjoyed your reply. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I could I could just continue to unravel that, and then you can. Yeah, let's step unpack in. subjective storytelling. Mm. I like that. Let's unpack. Cool. Yeah, well, so consciousness, I think it's definitely, it's a very personal thing on the one sense, which obviously we both know we've talked about this off the record many times, and there is a universal aspect to it, but there's also a highly personal aspect to it, and for whatever reason, the personal to me is what immediately comes to the fore, whether that's right, wrong, left, right, up, down, uh, personal is where I first go with it. Because I think, you know, in some sense, the easiest way to understand, I guess, consciousness as a concept is to kind of think about this notion of there were each, with the risk of sounding too self-involved and too narcissistic, we're all the star of our own movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Like there is a cinematic aspect to your subjective experience of life, right? Like the, yes. I mean, even down to the way that I think we typify and characterize experiencing life, it is kind of, it's primarily through the visual in some sense. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about earlier, this idea of, you know, what, if you had to deprive yourself of one of the senses, which would be the most prime, which would be the prime one. And I think, visual is the prime one because it's what allows you as a conscious operator to track your movement through space and time right the prime one you'd want to keep and then the prime one you were saying that you'd want to remove if forced was olfactory smell was the yeah. one that you guys indicated earlier in your conversation i like subjective storytelling mm -hmm. i think subjective storytelling has a a feel to me that is it's accommodating was the first sort of adjective that came Definitely. to mind it's accommodating that's Sub right subjective storytelling is accommodating and then i also appreciated how you put the you gave us the the spectrum right off the bat because you gave the super individual and you also gave the universal yeah and so there's this spectrum too. Now, I think another interesting thing for us to talk about is I think mm, maybe like all 8 billion people are 
familiar with the individual consciousness. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair to say. You've like known all it's birth. Yeah. No, all a billion people. Yep. Familiar with maybe, yeah, but familiar with it at I would say a surface level, like the peak of the iceberg is conscious awareness that is almost involved with something outside of itself, like it's kind of constantly interacting with the uh objective world versus this being the subjective, right? So well, be, that kind of squares with. The, let me let me hit this for ahead, a second yeah. longer because I think this is interesting to give us a, a runway on. Yeah, please. So, um, subjective storytelling, okay, and then we have this sort of like objective outside, and we were talking about um, a lot of people don't even go into the relationship between the two, the subject mm-hmm. and the object. We don't even do that. Or the subject and the subject and mm. the space between this. Um, so there's that. And then the peak in this case of the iceberg would be something like um, one that knows that they're conscious and aware, but that they focus a vast majority, if not all of their time, on the objective outside and then what's below the you know the 90 percent of iceberg below that peak that's above the water Mm -hmm. is something along the lines of the deeper analysis of what exists beyond the subject spending vast majority if not all time on object outside so Mm. it would be like if they spent more time on investigating the subject itself Hmm. so there's consciousness investigating itself as Hmm. kind of one thing on the iceberg and then another thing would be that consciousness investigating its relationship to other individual consciousness i see what you're saying and consciousness investigating its relationship with object so but it's relationship not just object right i see what you're saying okay and most people yeah yeah yeah. so we're unpacking the iceberg here and so most people take the um, device and they um engage with the device in a way that is um actually this could be interesting when when most people let's say engage with the device let's go to um let's go to spotify um so what i would say is occurring on on the device is the demo the demo itself is let's see what is better than that because i don't really want to get into social let's just let's give my point is i'll just give i'll just give you the most macro level on it Mm. the device itself is where the person engages with and now there's only a couple billion people on the planet that uh, engage with the device on a eight hour per day basis type thing a lot of people don't have the laptops computers cell phones type thing smartphones but for those that do what's occurring for vast majority of people from what i've understood is that the subject engages with the object like it's an object that the subject is only engaging with the object and focusing their consciousness on just the object rather than the 
subject realizing that it's them, their relationship with the object that they can investigate in the iceberg. Anyway, that, hmm. we kind of gave a couple things. Consciousness investigating itself. Consciousness investigating with other consciousness. Um, consciousness investigating its relationship to objects. All in the iceberg of subjective storytelling and understanding um, what the nature of it is. What the nature of awareness is. So there's this big peak iceberg of mostly subject inter subject immersed fully in object without investigating its relationship to it or its or its relationship to what consciousness is or its relationship to other consciousness. I would say that that would be kind of one of the first sort of hitbacks that I would do of the tennis ball to that. Right, just kind of parsing out what are the different almost archetypical or typological a to B interactions between it's kind of subject object in a way and uh, subject subject too. Yeah. It's like subject investigating itself is one mm -hmm. that really, okay, let's do another one quick. Most people are most familiar with subject investigating its relationship with object. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So if we were to go one level up from yes. just subject being immersed in object and never investigating its relationship to object, mm -hmm. Um, that the first one would be subject realizing it has a relationship to object and then it investigating that. Okay. That would be like I the first thing that would be like, for example, the social dilemma. It would be like, yeah, it would be like the person finally waking up to the fact that um, their relationship with the device is more deep than just it being an object. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's one level to, up and we'll to, go to the other almost levels. in their levels of enlightenment in a way. Right. Or you could use awareness. It's a more sophisticated. It's a it's a heightening of the the sophistication level of the awareness, is to me, what you're saying, right? Beautiful hit back. Yeah. So my my argument would be that in doing the process of which we are describing, one becomes much more attuned to the nature of consciousness and the nature of reality and the nature of other conscious agents and the nature of the whole holism the nature mm -hmm. of the whole and so in doing so one becomes more enlightened one becomes more aware one becomes more conscious as a being and therefore everything that one does becomes more moral more ethical more spiritually awake and aware therefore one does not cast malevolence one does not cast evil one does not self-deal and take advantage of other people purposely one uh, begins behaving in a way that butterfly affects out the highest yeah. possible states so that's why this is so so important beyond just what appears to be um, the tip of the iceberg is very enthralling and it, it's captivating hmm. and it's almost it's almost like obsessively compulsively captivating like I have to do my best basically on a moment to moment basis of my life to draw myself away from the enthralling relationship that oh, yeah. we have on a strictly subject immersed in object and never trying to understand the relationship or the re subject investigating itself or subject with other subject. 
Yeah. So, okay. So if this is first, one could say that um, one takes the first step into the bottom of the iceberg, towards the bottom of the iceberg by that social dilemma analogy. Let's keep using that one. It's a good well, one. I also think yeah. in, in a way, being able to even recognize and codify that first step, if you can even be aware that that first step exists and that you're in that stage that's actually kind of step 1.5 to getting to number two right that's good because yeah. in some ways that's in some ways what you're describing is self-awareness right it's yes. if you can even conceptualize these what was it four different levels or f so, something like that we're going to figure yeah. out where we're if you can even conceptualize yeah. those abstractly even if you haven't really played them out yet or really manifested them in the way you're thinking like if you can even conceptualize that those exist Yes. You've already transcended step one. Yes. Because yes. It's, there's a level of self-awareness there, right? Yes, which is kind of like the uh, the autopilot, yeah. egoic consciousness, one right. could That's say. Right, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so something important to remember is that the... The Delphic maxim mm. that was written on the Temple of Apollo about 2,500 years ago was know thyself. Hmm. And the other two Delphic maxims that are known as the most salient are nothing in excess. Hmm. And surety brings ruin. Surety brings ruin. Yeah. Ooh. Exactly. So it's like got a do it. it's like I a dose it. of hubris, second, right? Yep. A dose of humility. Yep. Um, a dose of humility to counter hubris. Mm -hmm. That's a better way to put it. Um, and then a uh, yeah, nothing in excess. So so those are the three. But then know thyself. The question would be, why is know thyself not only written on the front of the um the temple of apollo at as the number one delphic maxim um but why is it so why is it the thing that almost all of the ancient perennial spiritual traditions point to or talk about mm. and the what know thyself the know thyself aspect. and what and what now the next question is what is self Right. You said mm. self-awareness. Right. A hmm. lot of people, you know, it's very interesting to me because a lot of people that I know that went to um, the process of uh, the most common path that people walk down. So in mm. like Robert Frost, um, they took the path that most people walk down, not the yeah, one yeah. that other people weren't. Okay. The people that do that are typically the people that tell me um, about self-awareness. And it's funny because... Really? Yeah, because I ask them, I'm like, what does self-awareness mean to you? And that's when things become kind of interesting because um, it's almost like when you only understand self-awareness from the perspective of psychology, hmm. but you don't understand self-awareness from the perspective of spirituality. And so... And there's, I don't want to, I don't want to like uh, mutually exclusively separate them because they're not, but, um, but you can kind of tell when someone is like that because typically what they'll do is they'll say self-awareness, but they'll use that to, as a, is an escape or almost, there's, 
it's a crude word, but excuse is almost the word I want to say. So what came to mind when you said the self-awareness from a spiritual versus psychological was, to me, I think self-awareness to on a spiritual level is awareness that how you do or don't align with the kind of spiritual ideal, meaning the God figure, you know, how do you diverge or converge with the features of that God figure, right? That's awareness of, because that's the ideal self, because we all, in a best case scenario, we all would embody the, the characteristics of godliness, right? You know, by whatever, whatever you dress it in, perhaps, is not as important, but that's, right? that's, that's beautiful. I want to also take us to what, remember what you said, you gave us right when you broke down into subjective storytelling, you broke mm. it down into the individual and the universal. Sure. Okay. That, so this is, yep. this is where I think it, it'll be good to take this because I think what people that say the word self-awareness from a psychological perspective, they mean, they mean the individual. Yeah. They mean the individual and they have only studied self from an individual perspective. So it basically not only again, I don't want to be mutually exclusive because it's yeah. not, but I just I just want to say like usually people that basically took the most common path, which is um whether it be somebody that went through the normal academic structure of studying psychology, or whether it be somebody that like enjoyed because they became a business person and then they wanted to know more about psychology mm. and then they understood what you know self-awareness was um and actually in the high level perception we could potentially talk about the individual side as the north star side so that sure. to a certain extent the, the north star is really what self what people mean when they say self-awareness is they mean uh, from a psychological perspective or an individual perspective would be something like how aware are you of your consciousness and your your moment to moment awareness and your north star so your dreams your goals your aspirations how aware are mm. you of your roots and your fruits right your roots mm. your roots is where you have you know roots and fruits is one of my favorite it was it's uh you guys will see that in when i break down high level perception in more detail with my stack of of, of notes over there um on on camera and stuff but so how aware are you of your roots uh, where you have your lineage you have your if you got love when you were young um if you mm -hmm. got water food shelter um the basic needs being met how aware are you of your traumas your parents traumas yes, this yeah. type of stuff okay so there's the roots and then there's the fruits which is how aware are you you know there's also the the moment to moment how aware are you of your moment to moment beingness and then how aware are you of your fruits so how aware are you of your north star yeah. so it's very i'm just saying it's very individual right now where i think the spiritual or the universal like you said mm. come into play which many people that have went down the normal path have never touched and don't understand mm. is it's when you're you become more porous in chapter nine in high level perception we talk about identity and we talk about porosity and so it's basically the evolution of consciousness away f 
evolving beyond transcending and including as Ken Wilber and Claire Graves and Don Beck and Chris Cowan, Spiral Dynamics and, and whatnot have said is that you go from egoic consciousness to social consciousness to ethno-consciousness mm-hmm. to worldly consciousness to transpersonal. So now, okay, and then non-dual and symphonic we can talk about, but I just want to say this before we do is that what porosity means is that you become more and more aware of the universal you become more and more aware of the the depths of the iceberg that are not just the subject's relationship to an object and so this is kind of what we're trying to unpack because every time you've noticed it's funny we've spent um a week together Mm. in LA as Evan has been instrumental in the foundation of the transition of the simulation recording studio to Los Angeles and Evan and I have spent some time also with not only talking about consciousness and the nature of reality ourselves but also with other people and every time that I've surgically skillfully tried to insert consciousness or metaphysics into a group of people in Mm. discussion it is one of it, it may be one of the most difficult things to do because um, people have a proclivity to want to um, keep consciousness veiled from its own nature. Hmm. Right. So it's like the veil of consciousness investigating itself is very strong. Hmm. And so that's why when somebody inserts a question of how deeply have you investigated your source or how deeply have you investigated your consciousness these types of questions the first thing that people do is typically especially uh, egoic level or social or ethno level consciousness will typically do things like crack a joke brush you off and get back to its relationship with objects right away right that's the proclivity. It, it, there's a very strong tendency for so. And, well, I think yeah. because it's one of those things where it, perhaps in some, if I'm understanding it in one sense of the way you're describing it, it could be something that by definition would uncover flaws in the individual or, or aspects in which they fall short of. I guess, you know, this universal consciousness, to me, I kind of still keep characterizing in my head as, right, how... You know, if you were to overlay yourself and your traits with the traits of like the most godly figures in history, like where do they align or misalign? And that that kind of uh, that overlay and, and the in the cracks and the misalignments, most people are not too uh, excited to see those. Right? It's just it's not a, it's not necessarily a comforting thing. It, it it pushes back on the ego. Right, it pushes back on the this is so the lower beautiful. roots, the, the lower roots. Yeah, this is so beautiful. Um, so, you, so you're spot on bringing this back up. So, the universal is not only the relationship with the highest possible moral, ethical, spiritual states of existence, and that catalyzing the individual to actively strive towards that and Mm. sort of investigate its own roots that way and its moment to moment being and its 
fruits, North Star that way. But I would say that also on the universal exists the may I yeah pull pull that yes thank you we have uh some of our images handy once once you get that ready I'll uh, I'll pull it up for you guys okay beautiful so what I want to show you is I want to show you just watch out for that a key it's a doozy oh the a key okay it's a doozy. all right so here's what I'm going to show you guys and you guys you guys probably remember this for those that have have investigated so all right now what we're looking at right now is we're looking at high level perception the visual synthesis that I authored and published two weeks ago this is chapter nine it's on consciousness and this is what I would say is a little bit closer in the direction of the universal <laughs> so if we begin unpacking this this is what you could say exists in the iceberg at the lower levels and that consciousness actively participates in trying to veil itself from this reality sure okay so and this is a very uncomfortable reality for people and um also a lot of but a lot of people are starting to um to tap into this reality and and i'll explain how because it's actually very interesting because a lot of people are tapping into this reality by empathy as right. we've talked about a lot. that's right that's right we've talked about that a lot and that's right it's super interesting because you basically get um you get like an evolution of consciousness that occurs where people sort of rank themselves up um, and become more aware and more um, especially more aware of the subject's relationship to other subjects and like mm. the subject's right. kind of first person experience that kind of thing yes that but part. It's, it is yeah. super interesting because people will get to that level of hmm. awareness and it's super cool but it's but they stop there okay so let me I'll give you an example so basically somewhere around like 2000 and maybe like 14 or something like that, let's say. Somewhere around six years ago or so, I was maybe 22. And what happened was I remember vividly learning my first time in my life that there are people that still carry a jerry can gallon on top of their head yeah. and they have to walk kilometers or miles to get water, fresh water, and bring it back to themselves, right? So this was kind of, I would say my mm. first like real introduction to kind of trying to truly get behind the first person subjective storytelling perspective yeah. of another. And so, well, and that, yeah, sorry if I butted in a bit. Ahead, yeah. And that's interesting that you use that example too, because 
though on, on in the one sense that is a subject to subject it also is true that you've um that is a kind of an arc not an archetypical um, experience but it is a it, an experience that's shared with a large number of people that's that particular right. instance yes. you're saying yes. so it's individual to individual empathy but it's also individual to population empathy by nature, that being a universal behavior. That's super right? interesting. So, because I think when people, a lot of, cool. a lot of the times when people say empathy, I think it very much is that, like you must be sitting across from somebody, and it's like seeing, a look in their eye or a tone in their voice that makes you, kind of, sh throws you a jar and, and makes you kind of, instantly in that moment aware of some something that's on their mind, but the level that you're talking about it is it is kind of one more one step more abstracted from that, right? Yeah, and I think there have been a lot of great minds that have talked about how on a when you, when you say something like uh, one person is hurting, somebody mm. is much more very receptive and willing right. to in, and willing to help. But when you say that there are a million people hurting, yeah. the person's like, I can't do anything. What can I do about that type situation? It's the scale and its abstractness. Of okay, it. yeah. exactly. So there's yeah. that, and then I think another interesting thing that you just mentioned is that you have. Not only is it like you said a common like archetypal example of, of of I think it's common for people to experience their first sort of doses into trying to immerse themselves in other people's more uh, less less fortunate subjective storytelling. Um, in the case of uh, if we're talking the approximately. 800 million or so people on the planet that still don't have access to uh, a clean source of, of water. There's such an immediacy um, to that, right? Yeah, yeah. No. Th there's a huge immediacy, and, and that's one of the main roots on the human in high-level perception that we drew is the water. Water is one of the main things for the roots, just like it is for the tree. It's the same thing for the human. And this is kind of Maslow's hierarchy in a way, right? In so a way, yes. Kind of is that. Yes, and so... Yeah. And so... Um, so not only is it common for someone to have a, not only is it 800 approximately million people, and so the extension is to a large group of people that have to undergo some sort of similar process in their yeah. water procuration. Also, it's a common thing because it's not like I had a one-time experience with Evan that triggered th because that's that's a more unique thing but yeah. my experience wasn't that unique because there are dozens if not hundreds or exactly. thousands of exactly. people on the planet that have had experiences like that that have triggered them into okay so now we're talking now we're talking into interesting territory so what I think is what you're seeing now is I think it's the first sort of taste of what happens when one nerve ending if you will of the brain begins to query begins to investigate what it is like to be another nerve ending of the brain sure. in in essence okay so without jumping to level 65 um which would be something along the lines of try and hold all eight billion people's perspectives at the same time because then maybe that would be a higher level of consciousness than just trying to hold one person's perspective at the same time, right? <laughs> so that's 
the, the first taste is when one nerve ending tries to go to another nerve ending and tries to understand his first person's perspective. Is it? Go ahead. So one, that's yeah. an interesting idea. One thought with that too is I think to make it really tangible, I think another angle at which you can think about this is to consider the, what I would term, you know, essentially the emotional valence of those two models of kind of empathizing, if you will, or understanding someone's experience. Because I, I would venture to say, generally speaking, highly individualized experiences around empathy or seeing the suffering of another almost always have a much more intense and lasting emotional valence than the, I think the more you abstract it and the more people that you're in theory empathizing the universal experience of them, the less kind of emotional pull it has for you and the less it affects your behavior. You know, Interesting because I could also you know I, mean? I could also make a massive argument against that. Mm, so interesting. So okay. because here here's the thing. The emotional valence that occurs when one really truly gets behind the problem of eight hundred million people not having access to clean water is significantly more emotional valence in my opinion than when one person is communicating to another person some sort of deep in this case it would be if one person was telling me that they came from a rural village around the world where they had to carry a jerry can on their head mm. so this is I'm just saying this. Hmm. Sometimes someone's consciousness can't actually go right away. It, it kind of levels up slowly in a sense. Almost hmm. everyone's does this way. Not everybody gets immediate kind of states of leveling up several times. But in the example where it would be some, some sitting down with somebody and having them explain to me about their life, about them carrying a jerry can to get water what would happen is it would usually trigger an evolution a really nice sort of new baseline where i understand how that's existing in the world mm. but it doesn't go to the next step sometimes which is i wonder how many people experience that and yeah. so the yeah. next step is when you go okay how many people experience that and then you realize that it's 800 million people experiencing that and then the next step is when you try and hold 800 million people subjective nerve endings on the planet having a lack of clean water on a normal basis and then sort of the next step after you hold the space for that is to say, what can I do entrepreneurially, artistically, scientifically, in order for me to help those 800 million people get clean water, just like we have on tap in modernity, and we have no issue, we spend 0% of our daily thinking on an existence on procuring water. And what would that unleash? That's always the biggest question is what would it unleash? How many beautiful fruits would it catalyze of people's North Stars and gifts and ability to not think primally in search for water, this type of stuff. So I think that mm. there's sort of levels to 
becoming more and more aware of what exists in the bottom of the iceberg. And um, what we just went through as an example of clean water and truly holding, you know, I guess we, we can use this word, but in today's sort of very woke culture, Hmm. um, what occurs is a lot of people go to the one on one Hmm. empathy hand to hand combat. And then the, the question that I would ask is what does it take for the consciousness to go to the next levels beyond that? And yeah. 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 Well, what I find really interesting about this, I mean, and I think perhaps we're on the precipice of where sometimes we end up with this is what I hear you saying, I agree with in, in, in a world in which, we are seeking the most ideal version of how a human brain could operate or how humans could operate, which could it, you best case scenarios can play out. If, if there's, we've seen it happen in the world, right? We've set our course towards some sort of progress and we've been able to achieve it. But something worth considering is, I think I always end up taking the position of the kind of like biological materialist and on this one, that's why I brought up the emotional valence thing specifically. So we were talking earlier off off the camera about, um, I brought up this idea that people only usually take massive action if it has a really, really strong emotional valence. Like it's, it's no coincidence that activists for sexual assault usually were sexually assaulted, right? Like there's so many terrible things in the world your average person isn't going to wake up tomorrow and arbitrarily pick one and become that level passionate to defending and and eradicating it unless they had a very personal experience with it or somebody very close to them and they felt the emotional trauma. And, And I would make the case that the reason that is, and I would say that this kind of is somewhat biologically determinate because if you look at how we used to live, I mean, generally speaking, you would rarely live in a society where your tribe was more than, I believe, 100 and 150 people, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of that Dunbar. magic number, yep. Dunbar's number. Yep. So I think that directly correlates with that idea that there's probably a biological evolutionary reason why there's this kind of emotional valence and we struggle to have abstract notions of empathy or abstract notions of um, suffering. They, they, they seem to tend to not drive massive action in the same way like these really hard-hitting personal or you know your mother your father your son your daughter these people that are really close to you just because i think the human brain at the end of the day it the even if you think about how the brain i think structurally works there's i think if you look at um what was it um Phineas, uh, the gentleman that got the railroad stake through his head, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, have you heard about this mm-hmm. gentleman? So he maintained all his cognitive intellectual capacities. Like he could probably, you know, he could navigate logical problems, but he struggled to, if my understanding, if I remember is correct, he struggled to put his efforts in a direct goal-directed way behind anything because he, the part of his brain that was tied to emotion had been damaged or severed from the logical part. And because you need that, lo- that emotional engine to trigger the abstract, um, start up and trigger the abstract logical part of the brain, that thing had been severed in him. So he was, 
it wasn't like he lost intellectual capability or intelligence. He just lost motivation. And that in, in my mind, that's kind of a, a case study in that, that notion that that's why this kind of subjective low version is so potent because it actually has to do with the brain structure and, you know, in a biological material sense, right? Not to say that, you know, I mean, perhaps there is a way that we, um, May, may we try go and ahead. hold. May yeah. we try and hold space for the universal a little bit more. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I think I said my my thing. Go ahead. What what yeah. typically occurs when attempting to investigate the nature of consciousness, and especially consciousness investigating itself, right? That part of the iceberg, specifically. Again, let's just go back through this because I think it's so important. Otherwise, we can get. You know what's what's really nice is like. Let's um, you know, let's let's specifically mm. get a couple like layers of this. Let's specifically get a couple layers of this even uh, on our on our visual on our visual system via the via the beautiful technology we have on our uh, over the shoulder shot. Mm. So I'll do my best to sort of keep this in in a good vision for you guys. So. Let's begin with our let's begin with our iceberg. So so we have this we'll go here. So we have this kind of like Okay. All right. Is that is that seen well? Yeah, that's seen well enough. Cool. Okay. Great. So we have this iceberg. Now the This is kind of your classic iceberg example where you have approximately You have approximately 10% of the iceberg that is above. And you have approximately 90% that is below. This is a very, very frequent analogy and metaphor used a lot in life. Okay, so. Now. What I want to do is I want to sort of illustrate to people where we were unpacking the majority of where we're unpacking the majority of the nature of consciousness and potentially that 10% of the top 10% of the iceberg is what a vast majority of consciousness is currently doing. So that means, if we go back here, that the vast majority of consciousness is doing something like kind of like subject immersed in 
object. And then we could say that it is, we'll go a step further and we'll sort of put a box around the object. It's almost as though like the subject's focus is extremely oriented on the object. And that's the vast majority of people's conscious aware experience on a moment to moment basis. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now some of the other states that we were describing is when this might be closer to like here. This is like subject becomes aware of its relationship. So, so subject, <clears throat> subject becomes aware of its relationship to object. So here, the, the subject's becoming more aware of, of, the, of the arrow portion, okay? It's a good diagram, it's clear. Okay, cool, cool. Especially coming from someone that's a designer and architect, it's super duper important. Yep, yeah. you, you hit all the points. You, yeah. the least yeah. number of elements to most simply show the idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. exactly. That's, that's what I, that's the whole thing of, of high level perception yeah. also. Yeah. That's, that's the right. whole point of this component to, um, simulation to the show is to begin trying to compress memify almost yeah. memify. Yeah. We are attempting to become memetic gods on the right. program. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what we are trying to do. And the, the more that we, can compress the most profound wisdoms into the most distilled forms of art dissemination, the more we awaken and win. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And not to go down a rabbit hole, and I think this is right on the right track, but, and to, con to communicate things in a way th complex things in a way that they don't become complicated right yeah yeah that kind of distinction yes and and <clears throat> also just a distinction also that win does not mean like simulation winning hmm. no it's more like win meaning on a on a whole level remember holism i on thought you meant like charlie sheen winning yeah no? yeah 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 oh. on, on a I whole was excited. yeah we, we gotta get charlie sheen on the program too we got a lot of people in la we gotta sit down with um, that's right gotta, perhaps he's enlightened now yeah it well, could be we have a we have a lot of work to do here uh, i'm so pumped though the journey love the journey baby um so what happens is is that if one can when one can understand on a holism level the winning being of the entirety and not of some sort of like the, the individual can win in a Nash equilibrium at the same time mm -hmm. as the collective can win that's not a problem we can have that conversation no problem but I mean the collective winning on a metaphysical level like meaning hmm. in diagram number in chapter 10 on infinity in the second diagram, I give the Ouroboros and I give all of the Fermi filters, which are things like asteroids and mutually assured destruction with nuclear bombs and uh, the 
planetary health bar being disintegrated due to short-termism the code of life being used for malevolence like bio warfare Mm -hmm. and then uh, the artificial general intelligence being unaligned with with uh, the most uh, benevolent outcomes so Mm. in what I mean by winning is I mean becoming mimetic gods communicating compressing distilling art that awakens so that we win as in we get to the godhead the gateway Mm. which Again, I hypothesize as the metaverse, and then we go inward, transcension hypothesis, John Smart, into the next Big Bangs, into the next consciousness exploring infinity. Okay, just to get back to this, I just want to show another thing here, because we made this analogy, which is great. So what what was occurring was that... Um, was that we had talked about this one as the subject's relationship usually with the let's put it up here with the with the these will be our another it's like an it's funny it's like an analogy in an analogy actually i've never thought of that before or i think i have maybe i've thought of that before in some ways but okay so now we're using an analogy within an analogy okay i don't know if you guys can see that that um, okay, so I wrote the word. I wrote the word phone, right? Because mm. it's usually what happens is we get our most phone. phone. We get immersed it's a good way to in put the it. phone, yep. right? Okay. That's right. So what's occurring in this one is the subject becomes aware of its relationship with the phone. As so, in, I'm addicted to my phone. Yes. Yeah. So this is where we write the words. And perhaps that's almost a psychological self-awareness in a way, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because well, it's it a becomes... very tangible version of self-awareness. It's not. Yes. It has no relationship to spirituality per se. I. It's... I. I would. I'll. But uh, continue. Yeah. There's. There's more to it, but they're. They're not mutually exclusive things. But yeah. Social dilemma is what we wrote there. Right. Okay. So we have the subjects, uh, fully engrossed in the phone and spending a vast majority of their of their time only aware of the tip of the iceberg which is the phone um their relationship with just objects and then in this case when you get a little bit deeper it you kind of start getting towards like the maybe the water line of the iceberg and you start getting a little deeper because the subject becomes aware of its relationship with the object in this case it would be like what social dilemma catalyzed for people's awareness that's right um so excuse me so what i believe tristan harris said was that netflix gave some sort of statistics of um somewhere around it's in the tens of millions of people have watched and which is pretty awesome that there have been that many people that have watched now um, if if it's true that people have watched with their families at the same time, like if five people watched at once and Netflix only got the statistic that one person watched because it was one account. Good point. So it might be somewhere beyond 50 million people yeah. have, have seen. Okay, so this is the approximate. Now, what, what what that's doing is it's slowly waking people up to their relationship with object, which is really yes. interesting. Okay, so now we have that. Now, I would like to go another layer so is it okay if we pause on this for a moment 
Um, mm-hmm. Because I think what's interesting about this as well is there's the relationship between there's the individual understanding how they're relating to the object and that's kind of that's the perceptive way and then there's the people that institute that dynamic right as in and that and to me that's kind of where you start to get into the territory of 48 laws of power type thing what there's people that are deploying those techniques intentionally assuming that with the assumption that most folks are operating in in zone one so they're never going to bridge they're never going to bridge into zone two and become aware of that thing they're they're betting on that the lack of the of that happening right the 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 low probability that it will happen but this has happened on a mass scale right it's almost in a way it's it's a mass awakening and awareness about the potentials of psycho psychological manipulation frankly right you know yeah, and they're they're they're, yeah. they're the same forces and, and pressures that we've seen throughout history, the kind of Machiavellian forces, I wanna, right? I want to also say think? that yeah. as you bring this up, it's important to remember that the classic example of um, the knife being used to cut vegetables in your kitchen or mm. being used to stab and kill somebody. So mm. in in the case, it, it always the double edged, and yeah. so in this oh, case, I agree. I agree in, in this case, it's really interesting because what you can see is you can see that. Um, the the peak of the Fortune 500 companies that have created the uh, subject's relationship to objects to be very, um, especially hyper-intimate and information technology-driven especially in the last couple of decades is the same companies that have in a sense enabled the social dilemma to have occurred. It's bizarre. And that's so bizarre in this sense. So it's super interesting. Okay. So, uh, and that's, again, I write about this in high level perception in, uh, chapter two, C theory in the second graphic on trajectory mechanics when I compare mm-hmm. Newton's laws of motion to the evolution of consciousness. What Sri Aurobindo and the mother Mira Alfasa taught me before anybody else was that the spiritual ascent and descent happen simultaneously. And hmm. people like Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson have also been very adamant about teaching said things like Jung saying that the roots must, must reach down to hell in order hmm. for the flowers, the branches, the leaves to reach heaven. And so in this case, it would be that the ascent and descent are happening at the same time, meaning that the same way that people are becoming hyper addicted Mm. to their object of their smartphone and their technology is the same way that people are, is is the same, so that's the descent, is the ascent is happening, which is that people are waking up to their relationship with objects and that they should focus on their relationship their subject's relationship with the object because it is very important to realize what if you're not aware and conscious of that, what it can do to potentially harm and how you can actually augment your awareness by doing so. So the ascent and descent happen simultaneously. I I think that has a direct relationship to that um, idea that Jordan Peterson describes about I think in his psychological classes, he would always, one of the exercises w- was to imagine that you were a Nazi prison, prison guard. guard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this idea that the only way to 
frankly, Did you notice I put that in the Epstein documentary? Oh, yeah. mm. I put that at the very end of the Epstein documentary because a lot of people, um, and, and it's funny because there were a lot of, out of the tens of thousands of comments, a bunch of them the moral high ground. Right. A yeah. lot of people were getting onto some moral high ground. They were thinking that I was saying making some claim about, about Jewish people or I was making some mm. claim about, oh, really? about German people or I was making some claim about Hitler or I was making some claim about... I was making no sort of claims about... I was only trying to communicate to people the same way that Jordan taught me right. that you should always get behind the eyes of the perpetrators and realize that... That you, you yourself may in fact actually would have been them would have been quite them. likely exactly yeah. quite likely would have been them it was the same way that people could have easily become epstein Ghislaine maxwell That's right. if they were put in those same circumstances or yeah. the the women that decided to um funnel themselves into that those too. scenarios um or the men that perpetrated that's right. As well. All the players, so, all, all the, the cast of characters. So, yeah. so, so it's so interesting watching people take moral high ground when in reality, um, their, their money is very interestingly, I said this at the beginning of the Epstein documentary, is almost always a function that makes people um, ethically succumb to money. That's right. And so this is what is very important is to work on oneself to such a degree including myself and including everybody that work on your moral and ethical and spiritual essence to the point where uh, money cannot pervert those fundamental yeah. essences of you yeah so and i think I'm happy it, it you brought kind of, that up. and it speaks to what you were saying that there's a simultaneous ascension and descension in order to achieve this middle relationship awareness and i think that has an analog to this idea that you have to descend into almost imagining the scenario in which you are converted to a, a perpetrator Nazi prison guard, right? In order to realize that you have to go down that depth to be even aware of it. You have to imagine the scenario yes. and imagine the truth and see the truth that you probably, right, would not have been the moral high ground. But only at that point, once you've kind of traveled down that road and saw, saw yourself naked enough that you could say that there is a part of me inside that would be capable of these of these terrible things. Yes. That is kind of that. Yes. It, it's it, I am capable of being addicted to my phone. Yeah, it's admitting it is the first step, right? Yep. And then only from there can you begin to mitigate against it. You know? Yep. So that's right. I think, yeah, yeah. We're so 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 spot on. Yeah. So in that graphic that I showed from chapter nine of the the integral from zero to eight billion of the all the nerve endings and of the of consciousness that you can imagine that some of the nerve endings of consciousness have been the perpetrators mm. at the nazi prison camps as well as the um the people involved in the epstein scandal That's and right. so and so um the more that you realize that we're taking an integral, we're keeping a holistic perspective on um, everything from the source point, which is hypothesized today to be a big bang, up until um, the 8 billion people alive on the planet at the same time, which took 100 billion people and uh, 100 million species up until this point. There are 10 million species on the planet-ish, so what we think right now. That you, you have to take the integral of all of that, including what we just mentioned with Nazi prison camp guards and people involved in the Epstein scandal, as all one holistic hmm. unity. 
And mm. um, once you begin doing that, um, now you're beginning to get into some transpersonal and some non-dual states of consciousness and in symphonic states of consciousness. Um, so we will hopefully be able to get there as well. So this, I would say, is the sort of slow introduction to what may be the nature of consciousness, the nature of reality, if you will. So let's continue. Um, we will go into, we had in the in the icebergs below water section we were also talking about the subject investigating itself and the subject investigating other subjects and the subject investigating the whole so we can say the probably the subject hmm. investigating other subjects and then the subject investigating itself hmm. and then the subject investigating its relationship with itself yeah yes. so so here we have the subject investigating subjects which is technically investigating itself but if you will play with the nerve ending investigating the nerve ending or the cell investigating the cell of the organism just play with me and then we have the self investigating itself and remember the delphic maxim know thyself right so we're slowly working our way and then there's the self investigating the whole which is hmm. probably best described by the graphic that i made for for chapter number eight which is called the magic trick for high level perception um would you type yeah sorry guys I, I wasn't able to get my ndi connection working with my laptop so we're just uh using evans for this let me uh put uh, put that on the center cam just just so i can i just want to i just want to really finish this finish this point quick because i think it'll be insightful okay yeah so uh if we go do you to, want me to chime in or do you want to yeah i want to just i just want to hit this really quick so have some thoughts Great, great. Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. So, all right. So here's here's your classical graphic for. Oh, interesting. So, I we actually we actually are getting a small uh, issue where I can't show the. Let's see. I see what's. I see. I see. So can 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 um. I wonder. If it's, oh, it did activate. Okay, great. Sorry. Awesome. Thank you. Woo. Thank you, technology. All right. All right. So 
I think that this graphic from Chapter 8, The Magic Trick, does a really good job at teaching us what it means for... Um, for the subject to investigate the whole. Okay? So um it's you know I'm not I, I'm not gonna be able to I guess draw the 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 whole magic trick here, but maybe the best way for me to do that is to sort of give you a a very uh, a very low uh, dimensional view of that where it basically ends up being the the humans that evolve on the planet finally begin to Right, they begin to they begin to inquire into the magician. Right, so it's something hmm. it's something like. Let me see if I can put this up again for you guys. Okay, so it's something like this. So the subject begins investigating the whole, which is the magician. That is our source, that then catalyzed a process where we where we where we birthed as conscious agents that could then contemplate our own source so we could contemplate our whole okay all right so now again one more time we have we have this i also want to say the self investigating another self a subject investigating another subject is usually deemed in uh in today's culture as empathy this is usually the way that we hmm. kind of talk about it um and we can also another sort of way to understand it is when um a lot of people a lot of people if, for those that have been in love before mm -hmm. um what usually occurs is and this this is this is not only like a person romantically falling in love with another person and then uh, whether it be for a year or three years or whether it be for um, them getting them getting married and having a kid because what happens then is you fall in love with another subject hmm. right you fall in love with your kid and so then there's there's that relationship to another subject that's very intimate and close that people experience and then maybe that kid goes on to themselves also experience love a lot of what people do is chase after experiences that make them feel closer to God. Yep. And so whether that be chasing and Rupert Spira really taught this well, he was one of the leading non-dual teachers of, of the Advaita Vedanta direct path that a lot of the time that our experience chasing of substances or 
a one night stand or any of these sort of um, love in this case also can be this way that is usually because we feel some sort of a lack. Mm -hmm. And so it's basically the self not knowing itself. So if the subject truly was self-aware, which is what we kind of talked about at the beginning, that you would have a a true gnosis, right? A true knowledge, as the Greeks would say, you know yourself. And if you know yourself, then you know your source, you know the oneness, you know the the relationship when you have a subject to subject relationship that it is the subject in relationship with itself, the self in relationship with itself. Um, so, and, it, and it's all on a spectrum of, like we said, individual to universal. So we can probably also add that to make it a little bit more also friendly, I think that there's some sort of like a There's some sort of like an individual to universal spectrum that exists and the whole point in in my proposal about symphonic consciousness is to be able to do the two simultaneously So basically, if you can merge If you can merge the individual and the universal and hold them both at the same time, that's when you attain symphonic. Now, what what occurs is you have the hyper... Um, this is this is this is the most sort of um, this is the most common modern day um, analysis of this is you kind of have the um, I'll actually use my, my Eastern versus Western yeah one. Yeah. 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 yeah you're spot on so we have the the very classic sort of like USA specifically especially the US today in modern day and then this could be something like we can we can probably write I'd probably write India first and then kind of like China, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So we have 
USA on the individual and we have the universal with India, China. So it's again, it's not as like kind of like binary and stuff like this, but just for us to, in a sense, um, be able to unpack these things in ways that are hopefully relatable and helpful. So um, and it's funny because if you guys remember the. If you guys remember the graphic. Thank you. By the way, have we got any comments going? I'm oh, yeah. Let's go check. Yeah, yeah, totally. This has been so interesting. I hope for other people it has too. Um, I will definitely just go look at that here. I just want to show this so I can finish this point and then we will. So if you can, if you can, as we say in High Level Perception's seventh chapter called the sorting algorithm, if you can hold the individual and the collective at the same time, meaning if you can drain the bathwater, the dirty bathwater of individuality and drain the dirty bathwater of collectivism, and if you can uplift the good, the, the baby out of the bathwater of individuality and uplift the baby out of the bathwater, which is of collectivism, and then if you marry the two together and have them make a baby, what happens is you synthesize the best codes from each of them and you archive the old codes from, from each of them. And so that's an interesting hypothesis that we'll unpack a little bit more once we look at the comments of, of the conversation. And so uh, Evan and I have been... Uh, feel free to comment. We've been sort of mentioning um, before we started that we were going to be looking at these. So, we would love to hear from you. Let's see what you guys have been talking about. Hmm. Interesting. So, so far, uh, seems to be, it's great been on for a little over an hour we thought there was just going to be an hour we'll we'll wrap um soon i'll uh they'll do my best to kind of finish some of the key i mean it's a lot of well, it's i think we should there. start yeah i think we should start analyzing we should move to the next analysis of this because i certainly have an abundance of things yeah okay. i mean i think okay. we've kind of i've heard this full rehearsal before and i've and you've heard my reaction so perhaps in some sense i could deliver that yeah and so we've had some interesting comments of not being able to force a plant to flower early, which is a very, <laughs> it's a common spiritual phrase is you can't actually pull the flower to make it grow faster type thing. Yeah. Um, and so, well, I think it, someone was appreciating our points on Aurobindo. People have mm. been talking about the Pareto distribution, things like that. So yeah. that's kind of what's going on on the comment stream. So one, so one interesting to riff off that idea of the pulling the plant too early. So, mm -hmm. Not to go too far. Um, well, there's a part of me that, that wants to question the whole premise of this. And I think I've said this a few times in our conversations. To me, a lot of this sounds like the idea of how this is, this is the steps in which one might initiate a utopia. But the Let, question... Let's just transition because I, I, I know ahead. that um, it's almost... Sorry, I just want to say that there's something about... Um, the, the, there's like this archetype that occurs in people's psyche where they go, this guy's a utopian, everybody don't listen to him type thing. And yeah. I just, well, I just want to say, rather than use the word utopia, let's use the word pro 
protopia. So if you look up what the definition of protopia is, is it simply means we are incrementally bettering. That's it. Incrementally better. No utopia, protopia. Okay. Incrementally better. Because it's it's something that Evans mentioned to me over the last two weeks or so. True. And I would just like to make sure that we don't wander down this utopia rabbit hole. Rather stick with protopia. Just incrementally bettering. That's it. Yeah, so the thing I would say on if that's the case, then the thing I would say, how does this particular mapping of where we might go different from what's already happening irrespective of us stating or advocating for this model? If just progressive incremental improvement is already what we're aiming for, that seems to be what's happening either way, right? Yeah, and, and well, that's but, where well, right. Yeah, so but but also not not quite. Although that is does seem to be what's happening, it's it is not quite that in the sense that okay, the the here's the core claim. If if this is true, if it's if it's true, it's very it's probably the most paramount thing that I've learned that will affect our trajectory. If it's not true, then I want to know that it's not true. So I'm very, I have a very high level of openness to learn from other people that this is not mm. true. Okay. The, the idea, which I wrote again in chapter 10, infinity, I wrote the two words, Darwinian metaphysics. Yeah. Yeah. It basically means that the natural selection applies at the universal level. That's all it means. So what that means is that if it's true, so again, if, right? I'm not dogmatic. I am not fundamental. I am extremely open. I have extremely interesting abstract ideas, and I just want to know what the nature of reality is. That's all I care about. Well, and so, I'm and so you, I'll just finish. Exactly. So I'll Go just ahead. also just finish the point. Um, so if it's true, because I think this is the thing that will change our civilizational trajectory from incremental betterment to holy fuck. This is extremely important. Okay. Those are two vastly different things. Okay. So, well, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, I think, I think, is it okay? I think think we should definitely make this a dialogue personally. Yeah. I think it's super important. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the point. Otherwise, you could, of course. So, just, I just want to say Darwinian metaphysics, if it's right, then people will uh, realize that it's really important for us to undergo recursion, aka, Mm. it's important for us to ethically, morally, and spiritually align ourselves with. Christ, Buddha, Lao Tzu, Confucius level consciousness and basically try our absolute best to maximize the flourishing of every single human seed to its fullest possible potential and and create a synthesis of artificial general intelligence, simulation theory, mixed realities, biotech and neurotech fused together into the metaverse, which is where we're going, which is potentially where we came from. And so we can actually undergo recursion into the infinite designer realities that we create, which is potentially where we came from before the Big Bang. Now, if that's not true, if 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 there is no Darwinian metaphysics, if um, if it's guaranteed that we make it to the the next recursion, um, we, it's guaranteed we make it to the Godhead. If that's true, then. Um, if it's just guaranteed. So if Darwinian metaphysics does not apply, I want to know that as soon as possible. I'm actively looking for it to figure it out. So 
Well, I think to me, Darwinian would imply that this is a a truth, truth in 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 the material true sense. And I think to circle back to where we very started with this conversation, consciousness being subjective storytelling, right? That's kind of where I come at this. Is it's not so much that one story or right is right or wrong. It's just I think it's how utilitarian and useful is the story. You see what I mean? For like, because sure. in the same way, in some ways, what this this kind of this world that you've painted and created through these the relationships between these ideas and the architecting yeah. of it, yeah. to me, it, it it does have shadows and echoes of of a religious doctrine, right? And I would argue that it it's almost birthed of that, right? I think in order to create this particular um, relationship set that you've set up, it, it's a distillation of many major world religions, right? So it it synthesizes. And just to be clear, it's also right. a distillation of many cutting edge sciences. Just yeah. to be clear, okay? Because well, I mean, it's just it's just very comfortable to sort of like slot like higher level thinking into kind of like. Um, this is an archetypal synthesis of religion. And so this has a lot of religion essence to it. And so I, I just, here's the thing. You can't walk around to mm. um, the um, somewhere around, let's say, 5 billion or 6 billion religious people on the planet. And you can't actually have a, um, a full dialectic with them mm. on artificial general intelligence, Blockchains and cryptocurrencies, biotech, neurotech, quantum mechanics, um, geopolitics, geoeconomics. I, I have very precisely and carefully become polymathic to the degree where I have synthesized the spiritualities and the sciences and businesses and arts and all of these things into a very carefully crafted project. Again, but to me, I'm that's subjective storytelling. Right? It, it, that's yeah. exactly. And what that it is. first thing that you said was fair. Yeah. I just. The first so I don't thing know how you said you just, was fair. I just didn't think that. How do you apply Darwinian thing, principles to something that's inherently subjective? Darwinian is a materialist argument, right? Like that, the material truth in a material, materially true world, something will prevail. But in this, in this kind of homogenous field of ideas, where we're not applying a value judgment, because in my opinion, it's more about how effective is this meme of an archetypical story or an archetypical architecture. Like you said, yeah. Yeah, th perhaps this resonates with a certain percentage of population, but perhaps Christianity or some other doctrine that still puts, you know, evolution of, of knowledge of goodness and moral um, virtue at its peak. Like, it, it, what's to say that it, it's true in the, in the sense that the relationships it's relationally true right it's it's it, the relationships embedded in them in this are true in the sense that they're analogous to all these other relationships we see in other doctrines that we consider to be have proven their value to um when when deployed appropriately and when deployed in in a good faith sense lead to good moral results is right so if we go one step above Darwinian metaphysics, what we arrive at is consciousness exploring infinity. Okay. Yeah. And if consciousness exploring infinity is true, what happens is Darwinian metaphysics is potentially even not that. It's not as important because if the source point if you imagine as we have in the 
in, as we have in the infinity diagram, if, if this is true, again, I am, I am so deeply in love with being wrong that I have no problem at all of saying things that might possibly um, help people. But if, if they're wrong and people can show that, I'm extremely open. So, um, all right. If it's true that from this, this graphic in high-level perception, chapter 10, infinity, the second graphic, if it's true that from that, this is Benoit Mandelbrot in the background, is Benoit Mandelbrot's um, infinite fractal zoom. Uh, it's his uh, Mandelbrot set, and it's Maths Town on YouTube is the channel that does a really good job of this, of making these. What I would say is if that's true, that from that center source point right there in the middle where the green square is, that, and then if you go to the top left corner where the green square is where the diamond is at the center of the prism that is refracting the source white light into all of its rainbow combinatorics, that... If that's true, basically the idea is something like boom, 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 boom. That's how fast universes are being created. So if it's true, again, it's just a it's just a thought that if you look at the top middle, that would be those would be like the universes that are being created. It's something like that. It would look something like the the universe is being created super fast like that. And that if consciousness is exploring infinity and there's all of these different permutations and combinatorics of who you are, who I am, who Evan is, who different combinations of math and physics, different combinations of sentience being non-carbon based, non-DNA coded creatures, um, completely different universes that look kind of like what the top right corner looks like, where it's a little bit like... Um, worlds that are of your infinite imagination like what maybe pixar or walt disney would create um things like that that if that is all happening this fast then darwinian metaphysics doesn't apply as much does not it's not as important because even if um, this reality does not undergo the recursion if it does not meet its godhead and go into the metaverse if we if we completely obliterate um, ourselves with any of the Fermi filters then what happens if this is true is potentially conscious agents uh, go into the next uh, births of exploration on other combinatorics that are being made so that's the essence of potentially consciousness exploring infinity, even transcending Darwinian metaphysics, which is what many of the um, perennial spiritual philosophies have talked about. And last thing I would say about it is that it's always interesting to me hearing how often people like haven't studied the the Old and New Testament or they haven't studied Sufi metaphysics or they haven't read the Tao Te Ching or they haven't read the four books, five classics, or they haven't read the uh, Upanishads and studied Advaita Vedanta and Dzogchen and Theravada Buddhism and danced the African Vodun tradition or uh, done entheogenic medicines of the Native Americans or done sweat lodges and how often people still somehow um, haven't done any of those dozen things, but how yet they have formed some sort of concrete opinion about perennial spirituality. So the reason why I say that is because I myself um, 
if you guys remember, if anybody watched the interview I did with Jordan Peterson two and a half years ago, what happened was I was 25 years old and I had only tried Theravada Buddhism and I had tried some entheogenic uh, plant medicines and I had um, dabbled a little bit in some of the other um, like major books of spirituality and whatnot, but not too much. So two and a half years ago, my my essence to Jordan Peterson was something more along the lines of there's a lot of dirty bath water, man, that religion and spirituality stuff. There's a lot of dirty bath water. Can't science just do everything? And it was funny. Well, science is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? His his re- the most his important rea- thing to think about, right? His reaction was very like um, kind of like basically like, you know, kid, you, you're not doing the justice of the planetary perennial spiritual philosophies and wisdoms any justice because you have you're 25 and you think you know but you don't yeah. and so what and so what i what i see is i see a lot of 20 year olds a lot of 30 year olds a lot of 40 year olds a lot of people who i spent finally in the year 2020 i spent 10 straight months putting together these a lot of high level perception and I don't want to just focus, obviously, consciousness and infinity are important, but really, you know, high level perceptions core is really at trying to analogize what the seed of a tree and the seed of a human mm. are. And so the human seed needs nutrients in order for it to produce fruits. That's really like one of the main core first essences that I that I give in it. But that is just so surprising that people that are just a cu- like a couple decades old will basically throw away the. 5,000 year old planetary spiritualities because they think that it's just all dirty bathwater and that the I spent 2020 specifically trying to um, immerse myself in all of those dozen that I described to you and it was a lot of work I literally took 10 months to do you know how few people can take 10 months of their lives to do something like that it's true very very few people even take well, that's something one I wanted week, to bring up to you take one week earlier to do that as well yeah Alan. And so some people do do that and then they learn a lot and then they try and bring that to other people. Because I think there's a, there's a reason I brought up Maslow's hierarchy earlier too because I think it definitely has a relationship to everything that you've sketched out. Yeah. Because, I mean, th- there kind of has been evidence to show that as societies progress, there's almost an analogous relationship between the subject-object relationship and the ability to meet your basic needs, right? Like literally you could just take that diagram and put it next to Maslow's hierarchy and they would be one-to-one. You know, and and the reality is it, it's only kind of in nations wherein or parts of the world wherein we don't we have the luxury of not having to be not having to be stuck in S S to O constantly that we have the ability to transcend, right? Like, like and I think eight hundred million people we listed earlier that were undergoing exactly. tremendous stress. They're, it's with gonna be water. tough for them to get to the top of Maslow's hierarchy or to your last option because their brain space is literally filled with just the bottom of the pyramid, right? And not always correct because a lot of extremely wealthy people in modernity are extremely low in egoic consciousness, true, and a lot true. of very and poor, a lot of very poor people living in um, international poverty, which is less than two dollars per day, U.S. dollars per day, are some of the most enlightened people, which is super interesting. So there's a lot of people that fit into a different, and I describe that again in uh, chapter six on AI coach in the second graphic on the biometrics of awakening that you have a wealth hierarchy next to a enlightenment hierarchy. But the funny thing is you yeah, don't know, I agree with that. you don't know where the people are on the enlightenment hierarchy. Yeah. So Maslow's hierarchy is an important 
creative archetypal structure that mm. gives us insight like you're describing it doesn't i just want to be clear it does not precisely um articulate the it's it's it's, it's, again, it's archetypal yeah, yeah it's archetypal it's it, yeah the other thing I not would, all of the nuance yeah go ahead yeah the other thing i would say is and, and you know so Alan and I have talked enough that we know each other's curveballs and we know each other's <laughs> lens that we're going to apply. And I always go psychology first. I leave with psychology. So the really important thing I would say is if you know the Myers-Briggs personality test, which is very similar to the big five, it's although it is not exactly said, the same. Although it says that the, 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 the psychoanalysis of the big five has been proven uh, to be more effective than the Myers. That's Briggs. right. That's true. That is a true statement. And I that just, is a true statement. I just want to be clear because you do talk about Myers Briggs um, a lot, but you talk about Big Five a lot too. But that's I, true. But I just, I just want to, I just want to be fair here that it's good. Let's be fair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. that being said, there, there's this concept that, so within the Myers Briggs, it's, it's a four-dimensional um, breakdown of it's the first letters E and I. You're either more extroverted or more introverted. It's a, obviously a sliding scale. The second dimension is intuitive or sensing, sliding scale. And that one's a little bit less obvious what that means. Sensor, people that are sensor driven are more, more naturally predisposed biochemically to be oriented towards the physical world. Intuitives are much more like Alan and I are probably the audience that are more interested in ideas, right? In, in the intangible and in making predictions or projections about the nature of the world based off things that are not physical, right? They're not just straight observation. Um, T or P, thinking or feeling. Uh, I think that one's relatively self-evident. And the last one, perceiving or judging. And the thing I think that's important to remember with all this is that there is literally, all those relationships statistically in the, po in the general population are essentially 50-50. There's about half extrovert, half introvert half thinking, half feeling, half perceiving, half judging. The one doozy is intuitive and sensing. There's way, way, way more sensors than there are intuitives. And if you think about that from a biological standpoint. Was it two thirds, one third, or three fourths, one fourth? Or what do you mean by I believe way it was more? Two, I believe it was two thirds to one third. Okay. Yeah. 66% yeah. to 33%. 66% sensing. 30, exactly. 66% of people are naturally predisposed to be more concerned, frankly, with With, fi with o, physical, right? tactile, physicalism type thing, and then uh, subjects uh, immersed in object, and then yeah. intuitive would be something more like ideas, and maybe they would want to explore what the relationship of the subject is to the object, or the subject to itself via other subjects, or yeah. things like that. Yeah. Abstract thinking. And okay. so the important thing to think about with that is... I mean, there's probably some pretty clear biological reasons why that would be. I mean, set intuitives are going to be much more valuable and of, of utility in leadership roles. They're going to be of utility in teaching roles. But those things relative to the overall percentage of people operating and doing and working things in the world, like you need a lot more people historically that were actually physically doing things, that were obsessed with the physical world. Moving things, building things, construction workers, you know, fishermen, people that are bakers, people that are very in the physical. I mean, if we had that, if you actually think about it historically in the way we used to operate or still kind of do, if that ratio was much more like 50-50, we'd kind of be in trouble because we'd have all these people that want to talk philosophy all day 
when we're trying to, you know, make sure we have enough food to survive, right? Or enough like wood chopped to, you know, keep the fire going. So it's, so the, the, that, that would be the lens and the, the overlay I would lay on top of this is that don't ever, it's important not to forget that there literally are a, a larger percentage of the population that's predisposed to not think this way, nor have a temperamental interest in thinking abstractly. So are you, are you, yeah. are you essentially saying something along the lines of that, excuse me, that over the course of the last six or so million years of evolution from the chimpanzee to the human, that it somehow um, ended up that especially maybe in the last um, couple hundred thousand years or so that the uh, the the have the 50 50 splits across the other um, Myers-Briggs sections besides the sensing versus intuitive um, are 50 50 because that's evolutionarily okay for our trajectory but the one the assumption yeah. that is not okay to be evolutionarily 50 50 is sensing intuitive because in order for the from about a couple hundred thousand years ago up until maybe 10,000 years ago and, and, and whatnot, to have kind of gotten there, um, we required um, more people to be sensing so that they could, ex to be in the physicalism. Yeah, to be operating primarily in the physical In the world. physicalism. Child rearing, child reproduction, okay. f procuring food. I'll say, you know? I'll say that, I'll, I'll give you like that. This is, that was an interesting, I, I like that point. And let yeah. me give you, and I actually got something that might fall into your camp. And, but yeah. you could probably make a pretty compelling case that as we're becoming popular on a population level, at least in the West, less there's less need for hands on in inter kind of kind of work. Do you remember and what we're I needing more wrote, synthetic work? Do you remember what I you wrote? You could on make the case that intuitives the, yeah, will yeah. cycle up in the population as a percentage. You yeah, could make that case. Yeah, I could super, see that happening. Super interesting. If you because I, we'll I don't be know, the genetically like successful people. You know. In, yeah, yeah. In 2018, I wrote on the on my personal website, alansakian.com, in 2018, I wrote uh, the phrase, we're not farming, comma, we're yeah. on Twitter, period. You couldn't, I put it, couldn't have put it more concisely. That's See, exactly that's the right. whole mimetic gods yeah. thing we were talking and that's about. That's exactly, that's If you could just put it into really a sense. Really potent. So, so that, yeah. I, think, I think you're right that um, it might be true that maybe in the next, um, okay, I'll get, I'll get a little bit I'll get a little bit uh, woo in a sense because what 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 happens is you have people that try and um, analogize like an octave to the evolution of consciousness from the Big Bang until the Godhead Ouroboros, and so what they say is that we are approximately in the third density, okay, and that we're evolving to the fourth density and beyond. And what would be said is that. In the third density, there is a lot of egoic consciousness. There is a lot of the subject focusing immersed on just the physicalism object. Mm -hmm. And that may be more on the Myers-Briggs in terms of sensing. And that where we're going into the fourth is fourth density is more something along the lines, which would be, again, it would be something like the E to the F, like C, D, E, F, G, A, B, right? In mm -hmm. the octave. Yeah. That from the E to the F, what you would see is something like, people evolving from a, a self-dealing service to self and go at consciousness focus on the subjects focus on the object immersed in it to something that's more like service to other something that's more yeah. like um love wisdom light um 
an investigation into the relationship, an investigation into the self, yeah. an investigation in those things. And then if that's true, if you're right, what could be true is that over time, we, if we could, like, again, I tried doing this in AI coach in, in, in chapter six, in basically the, the, the data visualization, because we could technically do what you're talking about um, if we would actually just more uh, if we if we kind of just really here look at this if we if we gave a little bit more of a fuck about you know Edward Tufte's quote above all else show the data right that's the mm. quote on the top of chapter six AI coach here and if we could visualize the not only the individual's data like this, but I mentioned how this is, I mentioned how this is scale invariant, meaning it applies not only at the individual level, but you could visualize kind of like your family's data. You could visualize your city's data, which is something that Bloomberg and the cities initiatives are doing with smart cities. They want to mm. visualize their data so you can understand what the uh, what how the economy is doing what the response time is of the fire department and of the police department and how 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 the pool occupancy is doing and stuff <laughs> like that so people like yeah so mm -hmm. people care about data visualization and so if you scale invariant so if you take it beyond the level of city you get to like the state or the country so imagine if the country had like an operating system of its data visualization and it could see what was happening because right now all you have is you have someone that occasionally says the united states is 28 trillion dollars in debt and then other people go okay and then they go back to kind of like their day-to-day -day shit but like if you actually sort of had like the united states is like approximately four to five trillion dollar like yearly budget and like where you know, a quarter goes to the military industrial complex or a fifth goes to that, a fifth goes mm. to Medicare, Medicaid, a fifth more goes to those. And then, uh, uh, you know, the, in the, like the little $60 billion that gets sprinkled into education. Meanwhile, the military industrial complex is 700 billion plus. So if people could visualize things like this, it would help awaken them. And we talked about this with data interoperability in our in our previous conversation. But then you go up to the planetary level, planetary level of of data visualization. So imagine if you had one of these dashboards for the planetary health, for the planetary. Hmm. Um, what you could do potentially is you could see the eight billion humans psychometrics in a Myers-Briggs no, sense. Be, that would be interesting. And yes. where those deviations yes. occur over time. And then you could see if potentially this this idea of evolving from the third to fourth density from a service to self to a service to other is potentially actually catalyzing more and more people to go from sensing to intuitive. Yeah. And that's and I, and where I, I was been, getting at. I believe that, that that probably inevitably will happen because we are building a world and, and certainly an economy that trades so much more on abstract thinking and, than it does on tangible thinking for sure, right? I mean, tech and software, that's all abstract reasoning, right? It's not, I mean, there's, there's I guess there's a, a, there's a tangibleness to it, but I mean, creative strategy within those organizations, it's all about synthesizing a bunch of things in, 
abstractly synthesizing metrics within the company itself and then spitting out you know some sort of answer and that can't be done it, it's it's too abstract to be done in a sensing fashion right it's not just tabulation it's it's analysis and synthetic um conclusions yeah uh, that was a really abstract that was yeah. really abstract too but we're totally heading it would let me put that. it this way it would be hard to be jack dorsey and be a sensor like i guarantee i i would it's hard you. to be any Fortune 500 CEO. There, exactly, yeah, because there, you yeah. have to be such a th synthesizer of information yeah. to be that in that role. And I think you could also make a case that we're moving towards a world where, yeah, we're all kind of entrepreneurs, or we're all kind of leading our organization, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if we all are thinking synthetically, we all kind of are CEOs. Like, yeah. and that kind of honestly, inclusive that stakeholding. That, there it yeah, is, yeah, right? Exactly. And that kind of yeah. is that, and. Yeah. And I've thought about this before. That there's an odd to, to also speak to your circle analogy. There's there's an odd. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully that's not too far. You're good. Um, there's an odd recursiveness to that too, because if you actually look back to, and then I'll admit I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm going a little bit outside my realm of expertise, but my understanding, at least in kind of a a, a layman's sense of like how medieval economies operated, it was always this like. The, the metal the, the um the the metal smelter had a shop right and it was a, a one person shop that was above his home and it was it, everybody was kind of like a little shopkeeper right and and they would live below the, or they would have the shop at the at the base at the street level and they would live in an apartment above and there's this weird bizarre actual analogy of that we're kind of going back to that right like where everybody has their house and then their computer is the business below the house right and it's all kind of compressed That's and it's one. instead of we, we kind of we corporatized and we, we expanded and got massive like that's what happened over the last mm -hmm. well not even 100 which years, provided frankly. a lot of interesting things too yeah i mean and there's upside but i mean that but now cool we're metaphor. shrinking right i like that analogy that's a good one yeah yeah this is why i really like doing tennis with evan because he's always introducing me to uh to things like Keith Tatlinger yeah. um, and people like uh, um, these analogies that are um, even though um, and how that triggered the data interoperability thing and then yeah. how this right now is triggering a lot of very, very interesting things because in a sense that is inclusive stakeholding the, you know, the idea that maybe you can set up a, a building where you can live on the top and you can have your shop below and it can be in such city centers where there's maybe only just a thousand or 10,000 or something people that live and it's just this kind of local cluster of, of people that need uh, that need bread and that need water from aqueducts and that need um, blacksmiths and that need uh, leather and shoes and and that need um, kind of just basic basic needs and materials uh, carpenters things like that and then what's kind of interesting is that if that idea can sort of like interconnect with the modern day laptop entrepreneur yeah I think that's a in really, decentralization in decentralization yeah. so is it possible that we kind of is you know this could be interesting did we possibly move our trajectory more from the sort of inclusive stakeholding more like everybody was in a sense more like an entrepreneur? Sometimes there would be people that needed to run the shops that yeah. were just paid a, a, a nickel or whatever an hour, but that 
did we potentially have more of that? And then as a percentage of population, let's say, as a percentage of people per capita, these are always such interesting things that we don't have like the archaeological data of that I would really love for us to run a simulation. Yeah, we'll have to pull this up sometime. I mean... We would need a sim... I think in order to get a lot of this archaeological data, we need a simulation of a civilization and that... um, uh, that would give us the insights that we're asking for. So things like if it's if it's true that back in the day of of what we're describing that it was that uh, more people as a percentage of population were actually uh, inclusively stakeheld as an entrepreneur that lived above the business and most people were like that and then they bartered and interchanged and stuff like that versus in modernity what we have is we have like kind of a handful of fortune 500 companies that in a sense kind of globalized and that kind of govern in a sense 800 8 billion people and the economies then it it might be true that today as a percentage per capita, it might be true that we are less inclusively stakeheld than we were before, that we are less entrepreneurial potentially than we were before as a percentage of population, maybe. But also it's interesting, that's a cool analogy. And it might be also true that given our like biomimicry of what we wrote about in chapter five, inclusive stakeholding, that it might be true that we may be heading more towards like how mycorrhizal networks work in a two-way resource exchange underground where we actually feed more and more of the mother trees, these big Fortune 500 trees, that they feed more of the sugars that they make from photosynthesis to the smaller seedlings in the understory, aka the vast majority of uh, the 8 billion humans, that then enable them to sort of meet their basic needs in their roots in order for them to blossom their fruits. And so it might be true that later on, we might have in maybe a decade or two, once we get these architectures fully in place and whatnot, that we might have a greater percentage of the population per capita actually entrepreneurial. Oh, I think like, it's unquestionable. I think it's that's inevitable. So to be interesting. Honest. Yeah. When it also yeah. depends on how you define. I think the classical separation between entrepreneur and cor- and cor- and corporate employee is also changing too. Because and because think of something like. I mean, you could use the word gig economy, but I don't think. So I think a good example of this is a company like Fiverr, right? That's essentially just a platform that enables individual But they creative... don't, they're not inclusively stake-held. Mm. That's one thing. So yeah, what, what, what's maybe occurring... Maybe in the details. What, I'm yeah, not, what's I'm occurring with Uber and Fiverr and yeah, Lyft... Uber, I'm, I'm a little... I'm reluctant I, to say... I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly... That's explain. a model. I don't because think it's a model. Go ahead. Here's what's happening. If, if, you, if you just go one more level up, what happened was what... Um, the, the idea of a, of a venture capitalist investing into an entrepreneur in the capitalist law and social fabric of the United States is extremely good because it's the most entrepreneurial place on the planet because of the code of law. And we need to appreciate that everyone seriously and share mm-hmm. that style of code of law with the world. But the next augmentation to that code of law is when a venture capitalist invests into an entrepreneur that has a team and you have the founder equity that has maybe like 10% or so each the venture capitalist Mm. gets somewhere around a couple percentage points themselves for making the investments and then what happens is the sort of pool of let's say whatever if it's a billion shares or a billion tokens what happens is you have a pool of maybe 500 million shares or 500 million tokens and what you do is you 
you begin doing things like the Uber drivers or the Lyft drivers or the Fiverr Having employees. Some degree of equity. Some degree yeah. of equity. So it's one level, you know, the Silicon Valley really had that those those vested shares uh, of common stock for the employees, which was really important to go beyond the founders to the employee level, which is good. But you can go one level, next level of inclusive stakeholding, which is where like drivers for Uber and Lyft would get tokens or shares based on uh, how much equity they're actually building for Uber and Lyft. Because if you think yeah, about it, yeah. out of the $100 billion evaluation, and same thing with the riders actually too, is that out of the $100 billion valuation, let's say that if, if some if whoever is a 10% or 5% stakeholder of Uber, they've taken a big risk and they may be worth at 5% would be worth somewhere around $5 billion. And so out of the 5 billion, if the proposal was, how about instead of you having $5 billion of equity, what if you had four and a half billion dollars of equity and the other $500 million of equity was distributed across the drivers and the passengers that actually made you able to have four and a half billion dollars? And then well, that's interesting. That's, that's when that's when everything clicks more for people usually um, because they took that big risk. They deserve a big reward, a big payoff. But it's just instead of getting a ridiculous amount, it's like you get in a ridiculous amount and a little bit less so that everybody can be more well. I definitely off. believe in that. Yeah. The, the the passengers. That's interesting. Break that down a little bit more. How? Because I mean, you're essentially paying your customers. Well, the idea is that the wealth creation engine itself yeah. is literally the reason why it happens is you have the Rube Goldberg moment of the entrepreneurs, the founders that then get invested by the venture capitalists. So these are the people that take the most risk. And then the next yeah. people that take the most risk are the employees, the, yeah. the employees that build the software and the technology that enable people to just use their phone in their car to become a driver and get paid. So. Those are the people that take the most risk. They deserve the most payout. Yeah. The next people that deserve the most payout are the people that in 2012 were the first ones that decided to work for Uber. Or not in terms of employees, but in terms right. of drivers and riders. Yeah, drivers and riders. So what happens is you have basically a titrated scale from 2012 to 2021. Look, by the way, this is the same thing we're describing with Bitcoin. It's the same thing. As in literally in 2008, people who came on board early onto Bitcoin are the ones that got the yeah. most disproportionate payoff. They have they they own the most equity. And people that are trying to get into Bitcoin and other crypto in 2020 or 2021 are uh, getting less of a payout. But by the way, you're still today you should still get into cryptocurrency because in 10 years, you're gonna be like, fuck, I should have gotten into crypto mm, in 2021. Perhaps so, perhaps so. Um, because it's going that way. And so the, again, it's just a simple idea is that people in 2012 that were driving and riding on on Uber, they should get a slightly disproportionate amount of sh shareholders, tokens, or shares compared to people that are driving and riding on Uber in 2020. But then there's another sort of little asterisk, which is if somebody only uh, took, gave, let's say somebody only gave 500 Uber rides in 2012, but somebody <laughs> in 2020 is giving 20,000 Uber rides uh, to people, they deserve. Um, more in 2020, 2021, 2022 is giving 20,000 Uber rides that then it makes sense to actually also um, distribute uh, potentially slightly more equity again to the, that person. So 
Um, but I just want to say one one thing, one thing, one thing. <laughs> one more thing? No, not oh, just one. No, no, you got you got at least ten more things, right? I'll I have, all, go I have a million things. But I, rather than spending, because this is interesting, I love talking about inclusive. Okay, state well, let's holding. stop. I got I one more thing. I got one more thing for you. Okay. No, no, no. Because I, I, I just want to revisit consciousness before we end. That's all I want to say. That's, that's because we literally just every every time. I think this it was happens, very clear. And then there's we, never there's yeah. never a conclusion, right? That's kind of the point of that conversation. As, as Leonardo da Vinci says. Yeah. Art is never finished. It's only right. abandoned. So I got one thing for you, though. Yeah. So y you got me on, on the Uber thing up until we pay the customer. Because what I don't understand how, about that is the fact that the whole purpose of a company is to provide enough value in the market that people will take the risk to purchase the thing, even if it's new. If Uber would have never got their first customer, they would never be what they are now, right? But that person had to take that leap of faith yeah. and that risk. You know how you pay. To, 20, I'm going to give you five dollars. Exactly. For you know this how ride. you pay twenty bucks for the ride, so, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you pay twenty bucks for the ride. You're generating Uber a slow at that time, maybe only worth um, uh, twenty-five million. Uh, in 2012 or whatever the number was. And so you're paying in $20, then you're paying $20 the next week when you take an Uber, $20 the next week when you take yeah. an Uber. Before you know it, here's my point. After eight years from 2012 to 2020, you've potentially paid $50,000 to Uber. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Okay, let's just play with this example. If you've paid $50,000 to Uber yes. from uh, 2012 to 2020, my pitch would be something along the lines of this that your $50,000 that you've paid into Uber has actually helped create Uber's valuation of $100 billion. So my, my, my question would be, what small, tiny percentage of shares and tokens of Uber's $100 billion valuation did you catalyze? That would be my only question. And then my following, my, my following question would be, um, how what kind of architectures do we need to have in place where that person can we can very clearly visualize the data that tells us yeah. that for eight years you paid in 50 grand which uber has by the way it's so funny uber has all this data it's just not visualized so as in literally uber knows how many rides you've taken where you've taken the rides how many drivers they have yeah. how many rides those drivers have done for them how much wealth every driver and every passenger has created for them uber has all of that data well, for remember, a billion but, people around but here's the, the thing here's here's and here's where i kind of maybe diverge diverge with the the silicon valley venture capital view of business is that remember uber's never made a profit so their valuation in in some sense is 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 a theoretical abstraction right and especially, I, 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 remember the pool of money that a business has to deploy and, 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 and increase the value of their tokens would be based off their profitability, right? If they're an unprofitable business, you can make the case that unless people are hedging their bets and driving up the cost of the tokens artificially, there's actually no real value creation, right? Until the, the customer is paying them enough that the, the, the company can become profitable, they actually haven't created value yet, right? Because well, it's created value. I would call what they're doing. They're a hobby right now. They've it's, it's similar to they what just, Adam Newman. They just don't have cash flow. That's what they literally made. do not have. Yeah, they've never yeah. made a dime. Um, yeah, they're they're literally. It's like an engine that you keep feeding more fuel correct. and fire, but it's it's never 
it's never you know yeah. it's a foundry you keep pouring into but it's yeah. never made a forged tool the, the, yeah nothing that, has well, been well, spit they out did, yeah. which is the service that they provide to the planet but yeah, and in, i know what their business model. Their, their, their goal is to addict people the to the value. service their goal is to addict people to the service so that when they get autonomous vehicles and when they can't and that's the only way uber is going to become profitable we all know that well not is when only, they remove the drivers but right? the, well the main <laughs> the main yeah which the is main. the bizarre catch-22 but well, yeah yeah. So, but so yeah, I mean, it's similar to WeWork and Adam Newman. I mean, they were they were funded by SoftBank, and they never made a dime. And to me, I don't call that a business. I call that a hobby, right? I call that a really expensive hobby founded by some very generous investors. And that's so I don't know how you pay your customers because that's actually supposed to be the opposite. They're supposed to be creating the pot of money you use to value your business, to prove profitability, to prove that you brought value to the market, and thus the stock should be priced on should be based on the actual value, tangible value you're creating, not like a theoretical value. Yeah, yeah you, I mean, how does a business make nuance. profit? If, if you, I, you I agree, great nuance. But that's, this is economics, I mean. Yeah. It, this is great nuance. I, I, liked, yeah. I liked the points a lot on that on that riff. That was that's yeah. super solid. You had me everything so, up until paying the, I actually agree equity should be driver. I think that's a great idea. And I think it's a way better idea than doing a, a guaranteed minimum wage for the drivers. I think having equity no, makes no, way more in, sense. In, yeah, correct. In, yeah. In, the universal basic income needs to be universal basic stakeholding. So there you go. Every, I love every, that. Yeah. That's, so, I think that's great. All right. Um, just go to ahead. yes, just to just to give you guys, I guess, a small. Let's see if we can do a small uh, wrap here for those that kind of wanted this um, a little bit more directly. I don't know if that's going to get you the shot that well. I'll try and. Um, I'll try and get you guys this actually on this angle quick. What I wanna do is just very quickly um, get you guys into that, that zone again where we kind of got to unpack um, consciousness because usually, as you guys know, what happens is we spent probably a solid uh, 75 minutes or so on consciousness mm -hmm. and unpacking it in beautiful detail, but then, um, which we, again, we had a beautiful 30 or 45 minute bit just now on a non-consciousness related subject it's still related of course everything's related to consciousness inclusive stakeholding and all these things we talked about but consciousness is so as we said elusive and it and it veils itself so much that it it almost purposely wanders off into other explorations rather than itself and so just to again guys the little bit i'll just give you the little bit one as we wrap here on consciousness so that we have this so Again, the idea is that we have a, a subject to object relationship. And again, everything is under the iceberg analogy. Let's just start with that. Everything is under the iceberg analogy. Above water, you have about 10% of the iceberg. Below water, you have about 90% of the iceberg. And what we see is we see a lot of people that are spending a vast majority of their time with consciousness in this area, which is something along the lines of the subject investigating the object, but they're immersed in the object and it's a good analogy to use the phone. In the social dilemma, this is our next analogy, is that the subject becomes aware of their relationship to the object. So people become aware of their relationship to their phone. So they begin kind of slowly in a sense, uh, understanding what is in the icebergs below surface uh, layers. And then the subjects begin investigating other subjects. That would be something along the lines of when Evan and I mm. get to truly, this, this is like 
we gave the example of empathy when you kind of immerse yourself in the shoes of another person and truly try and understand their soul, but also when you try and empathize with uh, 800 million people that don't have access to clean water and try and catalyze solution to that. But also the subject investigating a subject is also like, if you please try this, we do this a lot in spiritual circles around the planet. The idea is that if you just stay completely silent and just look at another human hmm. in their eyes for 60 seconds. So don't laugh, don't talk, but just look at another human in their eyes for 60 seconds. Uh-huh. Usually what occurs is you realize that it is the one consciousness experiencing itself. And so you're experiencing the one consciousness through someone else's hmm. perspective. You see th- right through that nice little pupil. You see the one right through their pupil, and they see the one right through your pupil. So that's a great experience for you to have for subject investigating subject. And then you have the subject investigating itself. So that's where we talk about know thyself. So what does it mean if I investigate my consciousness and if I investigate my awareness? If you go to the uh, Theravada Buddhism, which is the most direct conservative teachings of the Buddha, or if you go to um, Dzogchen, which is another uh, teaching of the Buddhist lineage, or Advaita Vedanta, which is a teaching of the uh, lineage of 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 Hinduism and uh, the not the non-dual direct path tradition. So you can sort of have a myriad of these uh, Zen, the Sufi mystic tradition. I already listed all, a lot of these. So you can, you can, you can see how the, how the self can investigate its own consciousness and awareness. Know thyself, the Delphic maxim written on the temple of Apollo. And then also, the self and this is very similar the self can also investigate the whole and right what you have here is you have the magician that makes the source that makes the that's like the big bang that makes the creation which is us eight billion that are trying to think what is my source so this is basically very similar is the self investigating itself and also the self investigating the whole right holism so that's what i would say is that's what we would potentially say um is the this 90 percent. so these things here are kind of like the 90 percent bottom of the iceberg that is very rarely um explored as consciousness um and then uh if you synthesize symphonically the individual in the usa with the individuation with the universality with the sort of what india and china the collective if what you do is you you drain the bath water from both of these and you uplift the baby and you synthesize them into one you get this symphonic consciousness where you can basically hold the universal the oneness at the same time as you can be a gifted individual artist in the world that's the essence of kind of where, you know, it's always helpful that we had Evan because he was able to help draw out a lot of this um, hopefully valuable insight around where consciousness can try and go beyond just its relationship to 
an object and its immersion in an object and never even thinking about anything below in the depths of the iceberg. So that's in essence what I guess some of the cool stuff we got to on consciousness and a bunch of other awesome stuff. That's so, right. By the way, it's so cool. This was only our first sit down on the theme of consciousness and the nature of reality together on the show. Formally, yeah. Formally, yeah, formally. Been some back, back alley, show. back room, yeah. smoke-filled room conversations. <laughs> There's been a lot of <laughs> epic convos. Yeah, and this is only the beginning in the sense of not only like Evan being able to come on the program more often so we can unpack this stuff, um, but also for us to sort of, Evan and I have been talking a lot about mm. the, in the sense of kind of like what what Joe Rogan achieved with sort of being able to bring on uh, his closest friends, right? His people from uh, his uh, Sober October group and stuff like that. You know, he brings a lot of his friends on and they sort of have this like vibe um, and a lot of people like that. But what we want to do is we want to sort of upgrade that vibe to um, a vibe where we bring on Evan and, and, and other higher level thinkers and guests where we can focus maybe three, four, five people all simultaneously, very slowly, surgically and precisely on subjects like consciousness and metaphysics and sort mm -hmm. of try and unpack these wisdoms and also try and disseminate them as mimetic gods to the rest of the planet via animations, anthologies, documentaries. So we're looking for people to help us on an animation front. So if you're really good at animation and you want to get involved with some of the mimetic God visionary stuff that simulation talks about, then ping me um, simulation series at gmail.com. The links always in the bio to our email. So reach out for that. And then also another thing is imagine this conversation we just had about consciousness mm. and metaphysics. Imagine this conversation occurring with the most famous people in Los Angeles. That's right. So we need the connections. We're working on it ourselves right now on getting connected to the highest level people here and basically having them unpack their thoughts about consciousness, their thoughts about the nature of reality. And in doing so, what's going to happen is you're going to have you're going to have these influencers that basically not only themselves become more awakened morally, spiritually, ethically, and then butterfly effect out to the world, but their millions of followers that watch them will watch them undergoing the process and they themselves will also get butterfly affected to inquire into what do they mean by these things? I Maybe I should care more about them. So that's in a nutshell what's what happened and what will be happening here. So yeah, get stay involved. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below, fam. We love you. Thank you for tuning in, Evan. Wow. Yeah. All right, brother. Yeah. So I solid. guess I guess I guess that's it. Yeah. Unless we want to talk about it. there's one word on the end there, but I don't know if we want to talk about that. Oh, Perhaps that could be another. a good. We could. Know, Maybe we that's could, a weird, wait, 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 interesting wait, wait, outro. Wait, why that don't just, we? Why don't we? It would be a complete. Flip. We're we're. <laughs> I think we're totally done with this episode. What we should do that's though right. is we should make that its own theme for the next Perhaps time we sit down is. together, and is. we're gonna. We're gonna, you guys would never guess what this word what this is. Word is yeah, you yeah. Would it, has, you would have, 
Yeah. No relationship whatsoever to anything we spoke about in the last it hour. It has some. I was going to say Well, it has in some a very sophisticated system. way, yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah. you analyze it on a deep level, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. obvious connection. Exactly. No yeah. obvious connection. So you'll enjoy next time Evan and I sit down together, there will be a subject that will be super interestingly different than what we talked about. I feel like it maybe perhaps has never been discussed on simulation. It has, you can tell me. It has been discussed in small nuances okay. along the way, but we and and we've had some people come on the show specifically to talk about the subject. Mm. And I'll actually I'll, I take that I'll back. I you, think I can think of one. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell yeah. you about them later. But so um anyway, uh, we'll do that next time. That'll be a lot of fun. Super epic uh, round together. Wow. Love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. <sighs> um, again, let us know your thoughts in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. And also check out the links in the bio below to the show. Um, again, Evan's links are going to be down there for you to follow him, link up with him. Um, and check out the episode we just did with him on cannabis architecture if that excites you that was our previous episode together and the one before that that we did last year in 2019 was called the ethos of architecture so you can check that one out and then uh, support the artists the entrepreneurs the spiritual leaders the people that are rocking your community support them and help them grow and flourish and help us flourish as well and let us know your thoughts in the comments I mean, that's it, guys. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in. Wow. That's it. Investigate consciousness. Investigate the nature of reality. Do it more often. Make that a priority and share that with others around the world. And hopefully it will accelerate us to a more fruitful future. There's some interesting stuff in there about also, we talked about Darwinian metaphysics and consciousness exploring mm. infinity, and we talked a lot about a lot of interesting things. So All of Alan's favorite subjects, certainly. I think we hit uh, most Evan, of them, Evan right? hit a lot of interesting yeah. tennis balls back that made me... Um, there was a profound moment at your house when I realized that I was being um, too uh, hubristic, and that was very important for me to become more humble, and I uh, credit uh, your help with that and uh, potentially... A little bit of cannabis may have been um, <laughs> that's right may have been insightful in well i actually process. had one more item for your list i think in the 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 subject object i think there's a, in 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 a psychological world there's a, there's another option i don't know where it falls hierarchically in terms of its value but it's the subject investigating themselves psychologically in terms of that knowing is, temperamentally I, I, knowing yeah, where you're yeah because an important yeah. thing to understand is is we all, at least in my understanding of psychology, that, that fits into what is. It's the kind of actually a meta thing, right? Yeah. In, in the sense that there is a typology and a neurochemistry and a temperament that, by itself, regardless of outside forces, will have a an inbuilt interest in spiritual issues, right? And, and just to be clear, or the, in, the, in tangible, the subject, all those things the, are kind of, there's a meta element. The that, subject, right? rem, if you remember, the subject investigating itself, like we discussed, was not only um, the subject investigating itself as a universal, but it was the subject investigating itself as an individual, which That's we right. which we included the things you just listed, which was not only your roots and your fruits and your DNA, who you are, and your moment-to-moment beingness. We we, we should talk about, about that yeah. more next time. Okay, I think it's a very Excellent. operative. We'll add that. Thing. I mean, that was anyway. We, we spent some time. On My gosh. Stuff. Okay, love you guys very much. Thank yeah, you for tuning well. in. Stay well. Stay well. We love you. Execute. Build your. Build the future. The more beautiful future that our hearts know is possible, as Charles Eisenstein would say. We love you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.
Is this, are we still on? No. Yep. Yeah. Ah. Ah.